Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. I'm going to jump in. Uh, the title of the message is Unity, Unity in Christ. Uh, I don't know if you guys knew the prophet Queen Latifah who had a song, uh, U-N-I-T-Y. <laughs> she had a song titled Unity. I'm not going to sing it, y'all. It's okay. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> U-N-I-T-Y, yes. Um, and today we're supposed to be talking about uh, actually a movie theme. And I know last summer we did the movie theme. We were able to get together the Friday before and actually view the movie. We're not able to do that this season. And I didn't know what movie I was going to do until earlier this week, so I couldn't even put that out there. Um, but we're going to be, um, I'm going to be relating this message to the movie uh, remember the Titans. You know, have, how many of you have seen that movie? All right, great, it's a great movie. Yes, I, I, I saw it again, probably the tenth time earlier this week, <laughs> in preparation of the message. If you haven't seen, it, I'm just going to give you a brief synopsis. It is based off a true story, actually based here in Virginia. Uh, I think suburb Alexandria, actually, outside of Washington D.C. area. Uh, suburban Virginia schools have been segregated for generations. One black and one white. Um, and they closed the school and combined them, uh, which the students were sent to a school called T.C. Williams High School under federal mandate to integrate. Um, this was in 1971, actually. So I remember that because I was like, I was just born a few years after that. Lots of years after that. No, just a few years after that, 74. Um, the year is seen through the eyes of the football team where the man hired to coach the black school is made head coach over the highly successful white coach uh, based on the actual events of the 1971 team becomes a unifying symbol in the community as the boys and the adults learn to depend on and trust each other. Uh, so in that process, they have some unity around football in particular, and they join together. And it's a great movie. They have a lot of challenges early on, and even throughout the movie there are a bunch of challenges, but uh, they managed to be successful and bring that community together, at least around football. <laughs> uh, unity is the state of being united or joined as a whole. Biblical unity is likened to the unity of the Godhead. It is organic in its essence and inseparable in nature. A Jesus' prayer in John 17 asks the Father to keep those who have believed and will believe unified against the world and the devil. Our primary concern when it comes to unity should be unity of the church. Um, we can see that there is unity outside the church um, in various organizations and um, even within the Bible, the Tower of Babel, they were unified. Well, they, they weren't unified for Christ or to do good. They were unified to uh, do their own will, and God had to scatter that. Uh, and you could probably think of many things where you have been unified, with, maybe within your workplace, you have a, a goal or something that you're working on, and your team or company gets together and pursues that goal, and you're successful in that entity. Uh, but we uh, but we see unity outside the church, but we do we see the same unity within the church? And as a church, do we preach and live out that unity so that the world can see it. Uh, I think so many times there are examples of unity that the world points to nowadays outside of the church because the church isn't presenting a unified front 
a lot of the times. Sometimes. Uh, so John 17, Jesus prays for himself. So John 17 is broken up into in three parts. And this is not our main subject, but we're just trying to talk about importance of unity. Uh, John 17 says, Jesus prayed for himself. I don't know if your Bible says that in the beginning of John 17. And then it says, Jesus prays for his disciples. And then I think starting around all believers. Then we'll get there. Where it says, Jesus prays for all believers. In verse 20, it says all believers. But uh, before we go to 20, just some key things I do want to touch on. Um, you know, in John 17, I so said, let's go to verse C. Uh, you have in verse let's see, 6, it says, I have manifested your name to the men who you've given me. And out of the world, they were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. This is important to talk about they have kept your word because we want to talk about the word in a little bit. Um, and nine, it says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world. Now, surely he doesn't mean that he never prays for the world, but because he came to uh, for the world to heal them of their sins. So it's not that he doesn't pray for the world. But in this instance, he's not praying for the world. He is praying for uh, the apostles or the, the there's 12 men that the Lord gave them. Uh, the Father's love is for the world. John 3.16 said, I came. Um, yeah, John 3.16 lets us know that he is about pursuing the world. Uh, but in this instance, he's praying for these uh, these 12 disciples that, that are his, that they will remain his and continue with him in love. And they are his. And they will become one. Uh, and, and even at verse, I see, I think 10 or 11, it says, keep through their name, those you have given me, that they may be one. And even in this, he's talking about unity, being one, being unified. He says, I have given them your word, and their word is going to keep them to be one. And they are not of the world. They, they are from the world, but not of the world. And he says in 15, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. And that's interesting. He doesn't pray that he takes them out of the world, just like he doesn't pray that he takes us out of the world. We are to live in this world but you will keep them from the evil one. So pray that while we're in this world, that we will stay away or that he will keep us from the evil one. And Jesus prays, starting in verse 20, uh, prays for all believers. This, now, now, this is Jesus praying. Do you think his prayers are going to be answered? <laughs> right. It's not me. It's not my prayer. This is Jesus' prayer. So if Jesus is praying this, we can be sure that this is going to uh, this is going to happen. He's just not his prayers are just not hitting the ceiling and bouncing back down. This is Jesus. Uh, and so starting at verse 20, it says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they will may that they all may be one as you, father, are in me and I in you and that they also may be one in us. This is unity in Christ. We are unified, not not because of our faith, not because of uh, doctrinal things. We are unified because of Christ and what he did. And that's what unifies us. There can be other things that we can be unified also, but we're unified in Christ. Um, 22, says, uh, let me see, make sure we're going there. 21, that they may all be one, and you, Father, are in me, and I in you, and they also may be one in us that the world may believe that you sent me. 
And the glory which you gave me, I have given to them that they may be, again, here we go, one, just as we are one. I am them, you and me, and that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. This is important. So there's a priority in the oneness here. He's repeated this several times. Now, Jesus, this is his prayer, that we be made one just as the Father, God, and the Son, Jesus, are one. And that is his prayer, that we be made one. And it is not something that is wishful. It has happened because of what Christ did. Um, so it is a if and. So it's done, but now we must live that out. So it is done by his word. It will be done in eternity, but now we must walk that oneness out. So just like you are saved, but now you must let your salvation work itself out. You know, now sanctification comes into play uh, and justification comes into play. So this is, you are one. He's called us one. And that was his prayer. And now we must walk that out. He's going to give us some tools to how to walk that out. And in 26, it says, um, and I have declared to them your name, and you will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in you, and I in them. So again, this theme about love being in us, and that we're going to be that representation of that oneness of Christ to the world. How glorious is that, that we are the children of God, present that oneness in Christ to the world that they so desperately want and need. That we should be preaching the gospel in Christ and be unified in that. Uh, we can see this theme of oneness throughout the Bible. Uh, John fifteen five says, I am the vine and you are the branches. There's one. The tree is one. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 27 it says, now you are, Christ's, the bo- you are Christ's body and individual members of it. And Christ is the head. Of the body, so that body again is that theme of oneness. Uh, Ephesians two twenty it talks about in every built uh, that we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and Jesus being the chief cornerstone. So again, that building being one, He is the chief cornerstone, and we are built upon that. Uh, again, so you see this theme of oneness throughout the body, uh, throughout the Bible, or at least the New Testament. Um, and as our focus, the as the church should be. Uh, as our focus should be, it should be the church. It should not be outside organizations or things that may be good. Don't get me wrong. There are good organizations that uh, we should support. But our focus should be the church and the oneness of the church. Um, as the church, we should be careful what we align ourselves with. With uh, The church should be intentional about what we inf- emphasize. And the church must be countercultural in relationships with other Christians we disagree with. Let me repeat that again. The church must be countercultural in the relationships with other Christians we disagree with. So it means that there will be disagreement in our oneness, right? <laughs> that we will be one, but yet we may disagree on certain issues. But we are, our unity is in Christ. So if we agree that Christ, we can be one. Other things we may disagree with, they will fall away, but this is what's going to stand. I have two stories I want to look at in the New Testament that deals with um, some issues and how they address them. And then we're going to go, I think we're going to end in um, 
we'll end somewhere, I think. <laughs> we will end. Uh, but yeah, two stories we want to look at. Now. One, I want to, in, in looking at these stories, I want you to be open-minded. Uh, we must start and end with the Bible. Uh, rooted, informed, shaped, and guided by the word. That is what we should be. Uh, our perspective must be enlightened, challenged, and corrected, and rebuked by the word. Um, so keeping that in mind, we're going to look at Acts 6, 1 through 7, and then we're going to go to Galatians, I think, after that. Uh, Acts 6, 1 through 7. So this is shortly after um, Pentecost, when they had the 3,000 get saved, or maybe even more, and they were all together, uh, Acts 1, and they were devoted to one another, and they were sharing each other's goods. Uh, so they had a high time in the Lord, you would say, and then six chapters later, or five chapters later, we come in with some issues. Um, we're holding food from the widows. Uh, now in those days when the numbers of the disciples were multiplying, and this is Acts 6, chapter verse 1, uh, the disciples were multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. Now in this time, the Hellenists were, uh, they were Hebrew, um, they were Jews as well, but they were Greek Jews, and it, it talks about that, goes into it. Let me get to it. It said, uh, because their widows were neglected uh, in the daily distribution. So the Hellenists were saying that the Hebrews were treating their widows um, unfairly. They weren't giving them the goods that they were giving the Hebrew widows. So they were having an ethnic or cultural issue. Um, they had an opinion. They were favoring, the Hebrews were favoring the Hebrews. And the Hellenists were seeing this and said, hey, this isn't fair. You're giving your goods or whatever to these Hebrew widows, and you're leaving our widows unfed. And so it became an issue. And now, uh, again, the Hellenists were Jews, uh, but they were Jews who may have gotten dispersed for war or whatever reason, and they had adopted a Greek lifestyle. So they, could be, they would be considered by the Hebrew Jews as more worldly. They didn't speak uh, Hebrew or uh, Aramaic, as those Jews did, they spoke uh, Greek, and they also read the Bible through the Greek language. So um, they were different. There were just some cultural differences within those two people. From the same group of people, they were, they were Jewish, um, but they had a different culture. And the Hebrew Jews were a little bit elitist. They thought they were better than those Jews because we've been here the whole time. We're truer more, you know, whatever the word you could think of. <laughs> they thought they were better. They were prideful, uh, for sure. And so maybe that is why. It doesn't say why or get to the root of why they were mistreating or not giving the Hellenist uh, widows the fair share, but they, that was a, um, a, what is the word I'm looking for? Uh, <laughs> that was something that was said about them. Uh, and they never go into detail because their widows were neglected, the daily distribution. So the apostle, the, the apostle at that time, it says, Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, This is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to the prayer and the ministry of the word, and the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen. So then they go into who they chose. 
So they realized that this was important enough to address, but it wasn't something that they needed to stop what they were doing and actually sit down and do that work. So they appointed some people to do that. So it's important. They, they realized that this could interfere with the unity that they had in chapter 1 of Acts, that this uh, accusation about them not treating the Hellenist widows fairly could interfere with the unity. And it didn't stop them from doing the ministry or the work that they were doing, but it was something that they needed to address. Um, and so just to re- go back to the movie. So in the movie, uh, Remember the Titans, there are opportunities when the football team goes on a camp together, a football camp. Um, or before the school start of school, and there are many issues that arise when there, you know, there were two ethnicities, uh, predominantly black and white, and they were not integrated at a time, and so they're now they're now been forced together, and so of course there will be issues that arise. They were different, differing of opinions and different viewpoints, and the coach had the had the foresight to know, hey, we need to work through this. I need to put them together, and they need to work through these issues. And so he did certain things to make sure they worked through those issues. And I think I can see now he did, he himself uh, didn't stop being the coach and say, well, I'm going to stop being the coach and do these things with these guys. He said, no, I'm going to leave it up to you to work through your issues. I give you certain tasks to do. And if you watched the movie, you knew, know what they were. Uh, they had to get to know one another, and, you know, they ate bunch with a different group of people uh, than, than what they were used to. And so here is what the apostles were doing. They said, hey, we're, we're not going to stop what we're doing, stop coaching. We're not going to stop leading the team, but we're going to address this issue. So they chose qualified people, and all of them were Hellenists, I think, or, or Greek, Greek Jews, uh, except for one, which is uh, Nicholas. He was a proselyte. Uh, and this a proselyte is a person that was converted uh, from a different religion or party to become a Jew. I mean, to become a Christian at that time. He was from Antioch. But the rest of them were um, considered Hellenists as well. And so, you get where I'm going with this? All right. Maybe you're not. <laughs> in chat, verse 7, it says, Then the word of God spread, and a number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And I think that verse is key to what they addressed previously. It, didn't, it said this in particular that they number spread because they addressed the unity within their body. And they presented that unity. They, they're an issue that could uh, mess up the unity within that body. Uh, an accusation arose and they said, hey, we need to address this um, because we want to be unified so the world sees us and they are attracted to us. And that they will come. And so in verse 7, it says they multiplied. They addressed an issue that could have been a bigger problem. And they addressed it while it was still early. And they multiplied because of that. Uh, in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, Jewish and Gentile conflict is a theme throughout the New Testament. How the Jews supposedly to rightly respond to the Gentiles being included in the covenant, being included as a covenant of people of God, is something that Paul addresses throughout the New Testament. Because they're like, hey, we're the Jews, we're the chosen, and now everyone who believes, wait a minute, we did all these laws and these rituals and we kept all this, and now the veil has been torn and now anyone could come, right? And, and I could imagine that in their society they were thinking, but those people, they're not <laughs> like us. 
they didn't do the things that we did to be the chosen people. And now uh, that veil is torn. And now you're saying they can be a part. Um, and some people, I'm sure, accepted that easily. And then some people more, have, probably had more problems with that and, seen, and saw that as more troublesome. I mean, even, even uh, Jesus, in choosing his disciples, he chose uh, people sometimes of opposing views or looked like they were not supposed to. Uh, Matthew, who was a tax collector, like, what is he doing with you guys? <laughs> He's not supposed to be here. Uh, Jesus ate at, you know, tax collectors' houses and hung out with them and had parties with them. Um, yeah. And so he was breaking down. He was showing people how to break down that barrier they had in their mind that said he's not there. He's not like everyone else. Um, so they're not following these traditions that the law required them to have. And Jesus is tearing that down. And ultimately, in his death, he tore, he ripped the veil. And so now everyone can come in. And there would be people who had a problem with everyone coming in. I mean, that's true. Wouldn't we do that? I mean, that's. That's a very human understanding, emotional feeling that you had, that you had, an, you had a, a vested interest in a certain way of lifestyle for so many years. And then Jesus comes and rips that to shreds and says, hey, we're not doing it that way. Everyone can now be a part. And if you vested 20, 30 years in that lifestyle, it's like, wait, hold on. <laughs> Why are you doing this? Uh, so, yeah, it's understandable, but... What is right is following what Christ did for us. Uh, so the second story we're going to look at is Galatians 2, 11, 11 through 14. And this is Paul opposes Peter. That's what it's titled in my Bible. I don't know if uh, what your Bible has a title. It seems like a fight, right? Ready to war. <laughs> no, it's not. Paul opposes Peter. Uh, 11 through 14. It says, but Cephas, or Peter, as he's known, came to Antioch and opposed him, uh, and I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. So Peter was hanging out with the Gentiles, eating whatever meat and whatever they had and enjoying life um, and sharing the good news of the gospel with them as well. But when they came, meaning these people from James came, who were, were stricter in their opinion, uh, and they would not have hung out with the Gentiles like Peter was doing. So then Peter, because these people from James came, Peter said, uh, let me not do what I was doing before. Let me put on certain pretenses and act like these people from James. They were from the circumcision group as well. Um, so it says, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself. He separated himself from the Gentiles, fearing the circumcision party. Doesn't that sound like a, like a political party, the circumcision party? Um, <laughs> meaning that they believe that if you weren't circumcised, circumcised that you could not be a part. <laughs> they were the circumcision party. Uh, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas, so here you have a new babe in Christ, is even led astray by this circumcision party and what Peter was doing. Peter like one week Peter's hanging out with the Gentiles and then Barnabas is hanging out with Peter and the Gentiles as well. And then the next week Peter is acting a little standoffish and he's not hanging out with the Gentiles because the circumcision party comes in and Peter feels like, well, I need to 
curry favors with the circumcision party and not let them know that I was hanging out with uh, the Gentiles. And so then I'm sure Barnabas is looking at this as like, this is different. Last week we were hanging out with them, and now we can't. You know, what's going on here? Um, and it says, the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, and so even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas or Peter before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So he called him up. He said, hey, you was living like a Gentile just last week. And now you're going to say you're going to force these Gentiles to now live like Jews. How can you do that? You were just living like them before. And this may get to uh, a deeper character flaw in Peter. Because, you know, Peter was the one who denied Christ three times, right? You know, so we can say maybe Peter had, you know, he wanted to look good to the masses. And so he was easily swayed when other people came around, which is not a good quality to have. Uh, but Jesus saw deeper than that because we would say, well, hey, Peter wouldn't be fit. But Peter said, hey, upon my rock, I would build my church. He chose Peter. So what, who am I to say that Peter isn't qualified? Uh, but... And we do the same thing, you know, whether it be at work or in certain circles, we may act a certain way with this one circle. And then when other people come around, we may say, oh, I need to be different because these other people are around. You get what I'm saying? <laughs> right. And Paul didn't like that. And Paul would have been a perfect person to say that because Paul was persecuting the church at one point. <laughs> and then his heart changed. And then he said, hey, look, I was the chief sinner amongst them. I was persecuting these people. Now I am with you. And so I cannot have you persecuting again the church which Christ died for. I point you to the gospel. Jesus Christ died for all of us so that we can live in unity. Uh, I like this. Uh, um, this commentary says, notwithstanding Peter's character, yet when Paul saw him acting, so as to hurt the truth of the gospel and the peace of the church, he was not afraid to reprove him. When he saw that Peter and the others did not live up to that principle which the gospel taught and which they professed, namely, that by the death of Christ our partition wall between Jew and Gentile was taken down and the observance of the law of Moses was no longer in force. As Peter's offense was public, he publicly reproved him. This is a very great difference between being prudent. So Paul, you know, there are certain Christians where Paul said, I'm all, all things to all people. I mean, he was been prudent in that he would not try to offend if he was with, let's say, uh, the Hebrew people and say, you know, they, did, they ate a certain way, even though they, they still kept the law, even though it wasn't required. They still kept the law. He wouldn't go there and say, well, hey, you're not eating this meat, but I'm going to go right in front of you. And eat these pig feet and whatever pork chops or whatever in front of you. <laughs> he was showing prudence in that he did not want to do that in front of people who still observe the law. But that did not mean that he uh, just lived riotous and say, well, I'm going to offend you and I don't care what it. No, he was prudent. So there's what difference between being prudent and then being hypocritical and saying, hey, you can live a certain way. And then when you're around someone else saying, hey, we're not going to do this now. Which is what Peter was doing. And then later on, and so in uh, uh, 
Galatians, it talks about, so Galatians 16, it gets to being justified by faith. And I mean, this is such a good scripture, uh, passage of scripture to address what was just going on. That's why Paul goes into this because he says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Because come on, Jesus said, Jesus has just got off the scene and he's taught us that it's not about works of the law, but it's about faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, and so we also have believed in Christ. Jesus, in order to, in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because the works of the law do not, or will not be justified. It says, and so it goes into this and it says, talks about, you know, so why would we then tear down this wall only to build it back up? It makes no sense that Jesus came in and tore this down so that we can all have access to him only for us to take brick and mortar and say, hey, we're going to build this back up. Working against the very work that Christ did just a few chapters ago, a few years ago. Um, right. Unity is important. Unity in Christ is important. Uh, Psalms 123 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is, and it goes into what it is and gives them details. It, it is like precious oil upon the head running down on the beard. Uh, the beard of Aaron running down on, on the edge of his garments. Unity is abundant. <laughs> when we are unified, it's abundant blessing that comes with that. It even says that this is, uh, is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So we are going to be, we are unified in Christ. What is the song? I'm going to see a victory. <laughs> Maybe this is what he's talking about. I'm going to see this victory that we will be unified in Christ. Um, and we're going to close uh, in Ephesians. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, and it, my, it's titled Unity in the Body of Christ. And 4 verse 1 it says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. We'll get into that a little bit later. But so this is our pathway to achieving, getting, maintaining unity. It is humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing one another in love. And then once you do that, you got to be eager to maintain it. <laughs> so you need to have humility, gentleness, patience. And then you got to bear one another in love and be eager to maintain that. And so when you look at this, if, if this is what it calls us to be in unity, to be, so if we're unified, then why do you need to bear one another in love, right? That means that it's already, to me, sets it up that there are going to be some different disagreements. If i got to bear with someone in love, if I'm unified, why am I bearing with you in love, right? It makes sense? No, no, it doesn't. Not to me. <laughs> because I think 
we realize that it is, unity is going to be difficult. And that is why it calls for humility. Because if not, then it's just, just be unified. Unified is easy. You don't need humility to be unified. But you need humility. And what is the opposite of humility? Pride. And so our humility is going to fight against the pride that indwells us. <laughs> that is so our nature to be prideful, uh, to hold on to my belief. I'm right. You're wrong. I don't care what you say or do. I'm right. All humility. It says all, with all humility, too. Just notice that. Not just a little bit of humility. <laughs> or some, all humility. It says, and gentleness. And what is the opposite of gentleness? To be abrasive, to be angry, to be mean-spirited. And we can so easily be that because of this indwelling of sin that is in us. <laughs> um, that we easily bend our way to being prideful. We easily could bend our way to being abrasive or angry. We can easily be impatient. We can easily be unforgiving and bitterness instead of bearing with one another in love. Humility, lowliness of mind and modesty. I do not think more highly of myself than I ought. I'm not, I'm proclaiming that. I'm, I'm getting there. I'm not there, but I'm <laughs> proclaiming it. I do not think more highly of myself than I ought. And it's humility and lowliness of mind, of modesty, gentleness, which is also derived from the root power, emphasizing the divine origin. Gentleness or meekness is, expresses power with reserve and gentleness. So being gentle or meek does not mean you lack power. It actually means you have power, but you use it reserved and with gentleness, with that power. Patience, long-suffering. The opposite of long-suffering is short-suffering. <laughs> long-tempered, short-tempered. Uh, sometimes we can be short-tempered. Maybe it's just me. I'm the only one that can be short-tempered. <laughs> but God calls us to be long-suffering. Bear with one another in love. I endure I bear, I have patience, I suffer, admit, I persist in love and goodwill. It says a love feast. This is agape love. This is the God kind of love. This is not um, just phileo, you know. No, this is God's love. That's what we have to use to bear with one another when we have those disagreements. Uh, And then be eager. That means we hasten, we're zealous. We, with all speed, we make every effort be prompt and earnest to maintain these things. I'm not going to go weeks and months lacking humility or gentleness or something something that's pointing out. No, I'm going to be eager to maintain that. We're going to resolve it so we can move forward in Jesus Christ in unity. So ultimately, the, remember the Titans, the Titans have a successful, perfect season. They do not lose a game. And again, you can Google, this is the actual team um, in Alexandria, Virginia. Uh, and they have a successful season. I believe that if we are able to perfect these things, or even just practice these things, that God will perfect us in them. And that we will see a victory. <laughs> um, we will see that blessing that Psalms 133 talks about. 
the overflowing of the oil on the beard and even on the garment, um, that the world needs to see our unity. Not the world's unity, but the world needs to see our unity. And in seeing our unity, they will be attracted to it and say, I need some of this in my life. I need this love that you guys have. I need this overflowing of blessing that you have. And I want to be a part of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you for your blessing us and overtaking us. Thank you for the unity in Christ Jesus. We pray that we walk that out every day, Lord God, that we will be vessels of unity wherever we are and that people will be drawn to that. And our unity is just not of the world, but our unity is in Christ Jesus. We just thank you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.